Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? I'm good. I took my copy of Enemy at the Gates down to Myrtle Beach. Uh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, down in Myrtle Beach. Got to read at the beach, read at the pool. It's been awesome. Are you done? I'm about three quarters of the way through. It's freaking killer. It is... I, th- I think I'm going to say it. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I'm not even done yet. I think it's Kyle's best. Really? I, wow. I think it's Kyle's best. It's it's better than Lethal Agent. Uh, yeah, it's up there with Lethal Agent. Uh, maybe I'm speaking too soon, but um, it's that good. It really is. That's all, that's right, all we're going right. to say. Not going to say. That's all much we're going to say. We don't want to spoil much. Yeah, that good. And I was not a bandwagon type person who said that with total power. I was I was more. I know reserved. you were super cagey with your with your response, and I kind of knew something was up because I didn't read it until after you. I gotta get on that, especially because I can't listen to it. So right, right, right. It's that good. It's that good. All right, cool. All right, how about you? What's going on? Uh nothing. Just um, kids are sick right now, so that's oh. that's a bummer. But uh, it was about time. Ugh. Um, yeah, just getting back into work after weeks of vacation or vacation yeah, you, and then you were at the beach my right? bo- i was at the beach and then my boss was on vacation so it's kind of like a vacation for me so <laughs> yeah it works out and the boss is away chris goes out to play play some 18 <laughs> holes <laughs> chris comes home to uh early to fix his house and then plays 18 holes <laughs> actually well so last weekend i'll tell you this real quick i went uh we have this yearly golf trip with caroline's family up in uh it's Fayetteville, Pennsylvania. I don't know. And we played three rounds plus an extra eighteen, but it was like a best ball thing. So I mean, I nice. I ended up taking the same amount of swings, but uh, yes, yeah, so four rounds of golf plus like you got unlimited Oof. golf um, range. range balls. So yeah. I got there like two hours early on Friday, and probably swung like <laughs> oh uh, dude hundred two hundred balls. You can't go too hard at the range before a round. I was jacked up too, uh, and then I was playing with Caroline's uncle, who's really good, Caroline's cousin, who's really good, and his father-in-law, who's also really good. So I was like nervous. I wanted to play well, show him that I've you know gotten better. But they, at the end of it, they're like, "Chris, wow, you are." Because last time I played with them, I think I was scoring you know one twenties, and that was a generous. Right. I was you know giving. They were giving me all the you know oh that's good that's good you know type things. Now you've you've come a long way since I even first played with you. Just a couple, oh, maybe yeah. what two years ago? Long, yeah. long way. So, dude, I rocked the golf course today. Person nice. tied my personal best, eighty four. Very good. I think Very I had good. nine pars and no double bogeys. It was it was just wild. Never had a round. Well, I had a round like that once before. So. That's awesome. Very rare, very rare. But yeah. That's our uh, update of Mitrapod from the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the new golf series. Remember the that, new golf that, series. that fan who tweeted us about our golf, Papa the Bobo? wonder if he's still around. <laughs> he's like, Chris, you need to spend a little more time at home, a little less time on the course. He's like, four episodes in a row, these guys haven't brought up golf. I'm unsubscribing. <laughs> 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 Screw this. That's funny. All right, well, you can go back. subscribe to our other podcast. Um, Chris and Mike talk about shitty golf. <laughs> talk about and play shitty golf. Yes, it's yes. called losing our balls. <laughs> oh, 
I'll t- you can cut this, whatever. But I felt so great because I played the entire round with two the two balls that I put in my pocket. Oh, that's awesome, man. So you played with four balls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I walk myself into that. Dude, that's good. I only lost two today. So I played with three, lost two. Uh, That's pretty good, man. You you know you're getting better when when that happens. Right. When you're not buying a $40 box of balls and going through it every round. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally. I don't buy new balls. I used, uh, I get eBay used balls. Oh, yeah. I go to Walmart and get that bag at like 96, half of a range. Right. Because I'm going to lose them all anyway. Uh, anyways, I guess we should get back to rap. You know what? Before we get into today's topic, which I am pumped for, yeah, but before too. we get there, we have a copy of Enemy at the Gates to give away. If you remember, we mentioned that we are doing a Reddit giveaway. All you had to do was go visit reddit.com, search for Mitch Rap, and participate in the discussion board. And we put your name in the hat to win a copy of Enemy at the Gates. So if you're not an ambassador, if you don't yet have an advanced reading copy, here was your chance. I got the names ready to go. Let's spin that wheel. I wish I could play the audio of the wheel spinning. Here we go. (laughs) You got to find it somewhere on like some podcast audio thing. It's got to be somewhere. Scott Coleman, big fan. That's the the username. I think I know who that is. Who else would have a username? Scott Coleman, big fan. Oh, I know who that is. I know who that is. It's got to be Steph K. It's got to be. It's got to be Steph K. All right, Steph, if you are not an ambassador, congratulations to you because now we will be sending you an advanced reading copy of Enemy at the Gates. Congrats. And we will get that out to you. As always, we also want to thank our patrons. And speaking of Enemy at the Gates, super excited to announce a patron hangout, a Zoom call where we'll be chatting all things rap. And if everybody on the call has already read Enemy at the Gates, we'll get to chat about it. I know I'm dying, Chris. And once you read it, you'll be dying to chat about it. That sounds good. So we want to bring the patrons together, give them a platform to meet us to talk about the show, to get some feedback, just to hang out, frankly. And this will be a special one because we'll get to talk about Enemy. And that will be sometime in mid to late August. So if you've been on the fence and want to help support this podcast, sign on up at patreon.com slash MitchRapPod, and you will get the invite to our next patron hangout. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll be, we'll be chatting all about enemy at the gates awesome sounds good all right chris what are we covering today all right today so you know we were racking our brains what to do with some of these uh bonus pods in between books and you know we thought about let's do a character study we can't really do mitch yet we haven't done the whole series and irene but we have seen the last of one character recently in Killshot, and that was thomas stansfield And, you know, we thought it would be a great time to pay tribute to Thomas, uh, his time with us in the books. But yeah, we just thought we'd, you know, discuss him, discuss his life, uh, his interactions with the other characters, and sort of break down, you know, what we liked about him and 
at the end, we're going to pick our favorite quotes of him or moments and quotes from from Thomas from from the novels. So yeah, we're, I'm pretty pumped to talk about this with you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, he's a beloved character across the board. Uh, oftentimes not mentioned initially, you know, overshadowed by Mitch, Stan Hurley, Irene Kennedy, uh, Scott Coleman. But come on, he played such a major role in a large portion of the series and in shaping rap, maybe in some ways more than Hurley shaped rap or in more positive ways. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to talk about him. But I have to say. Every time we do a character analysis episode moving forward, all my thoughts can best be summed up in the form of a limerick. Of a limerick. Yes, indeed. I actually have a double limerick for Thomas today. You know, when this is all said and done, we're going to have to do like a special cut episode of all your limericks. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be a pain in the ass to edit. You saved them all. I guess you could just reread them. But I think it'd be cooler if you like cut the audio from all all of the all of them. That'd be sick. Can I just recite them all back to back? <laughs> no, it's, you already said them. So just cut them out. There you go. I'm uh, giving you more work. That's even more work than just re-recording. I don't, anyway, all right. Here we go. An ode to Thomas. There once was a man named Thomas. Behind the Iron Curtain, he showed promise. The Nazis he defeated. The Soviets, he unseated, in the face of pressure, pure calmness. The man, the myth, the legend. To the history books he is destined. Mentor to Irene, awareness so keen, on rap he left quite the impression. Very nice. He deserves it. Stansfield deserves a nice ode. Very nice. Actually, better idea, I thought, during that. We'll just turn it into a book, like a little fan fanfic book. Uh, there we go. You know, a little print up. To, yeah, a little print up. A poetry anthology. Yeah, of all your limericks on on the book. No limits. A limerick anthology. I like that. That could be a gift to our patrons at the end of this uh, whole thing. <laughs> for sticking with us, for schlebbing it out. <laughs> you, you get a measly poetry book written by. A middle school social studies teacher. Congratulations. <laughs> With a sticker. <laughs> oh, I think That's they, funny. I think the people have enough stickers. You know what? We might need new bookmarks, though. Ones mm. that show enemy That's at the idea. gates. The reading That's list bookmarks. All right, we'll have to get, get on, on some that. swag. All right, another thing, though, I want to throw at you, Chris, is a quiz show. Cue the music. Ding, 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 ding. We'll put some music in. <laughs> Quiz show. I've got Come some questions. Come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but this quiz show can be for our listeners. I've got some trivia questions about Thomas Stansfield. Chris, we'll see if you can field a few of them, if you feel confident or not. Okay. Uh. All right. First one. How many Mitch rap books did Stansfield appear in? Mm. Um, all right, well, I'll just name them. So, term, oh, Mitch Rap books? Oh, ooh, ooh, yeah, trick question. Vince uh, Flynn books. Vince, Vince Flynn books. Flynn books. Okay. So, Term Limits was the first time we saw him. We see him in Transfer of Power. We see him in the third option. He's not in 
separation of power, but um, his funeral is. So uh, you're going to count that. We'll count that. And then, so that's four, and then he's in the two prequel ones, so uh, six. Six books. That is correct. Okay. In which state was Thomas born, went to college, and was buried? Mm. I want to say South Dakota. And you, sir, are correct. Oh. University of South Dakota. Nice. I knew it was a Dakota. I was just guessing he was from the South. So, What's their um, University of South Dakota? Do you know their um, mascot? I, don't, I feel like I should because Carson Wentz went there. Oh, did he really? Let's see. Who are Maybe they? Maybe he went to North Dakota. Maybe the Jack Elopes mascot. It looks like a bear's paw. Nope, that's a coyote. The coyotes. Ah, the coyotes. Okay. All right, all right. Quiz show, round three. You're doing pretty well so far. You're two for two. Two Our audience listening along, I'm sure, is also two for two. They're a smart bunch. However, I'm amping up the, the challenge here for you, Chris. Okay. How many children does Thomas have? And of what gender? Um, does he have, does he come from a big family or a small family? I'm going to say three children, two girls and a boy. The two girls is correct. Mm. I don't know about the boy. I, knew, I don't know if he ever mentions a son. I knew it was two girls. Bonus question or follow up question. Where do they live? They got to live near him in Virginia, right? In Oh, I'm sorry. West Coast, uh, California, uh, Sacramento, damn. and San Diego. Damn. I just felt like he mentioned that, like, I'm just envisioning the line from when he mentions that he would hang out with his kids, but maybe that was just on vacation or something. So, Yep. No, there is a big thing in, oh, boy. It's early on when we meet him talking about how he prioritized Time with his kids. Family. Oh, yeah. I know like I Sunday think, was like his day. It, right. it, that's mentioned a couple of times where like he, right. he really tried not to go to work on Sunday and he went to church and with his family. So yep. that, I, I think they moved to California after getting married. Gotcha. So, so just two daughters. Okay. Uh, two daughters. How many grandchildren? Six. Three grandchildren. Mm, three. I'm three. Bad. You're over overestimating. Well, these are tiny yeah. little details. I wonder how our audience is doing. All right, last question for you. Um, and this is a bit of a tough one. Thomas is fluent in four languages. What are they? English. Russian. Mm-hmm. French. And German? French is not mentioned. English, Russian, German, and Norwegian. 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 He parachuted in World War II into Norway with the Allies. Interesting. Wow. So, but he was stationed in Beirut, right? For a long time. I mean, I guess, Mm -hmm. I guess, 
you can be stationed there and not know the language. That was also when he was older, so yeah, probably he might wasn't not, not a, part of his training. Yeah, right. To learn Arabic. Uh, also, it's kind of weird because the English, Russian, and German is mentioned as early as I believe term limits. Think we learned that about him early. The Norwegian is not mentioned until separation of power when we get the backstory at his the, funeral. Oh, the prelude, yeah, in the prelude, right? Right. All right, I got. I think I got like 60 percent of them right. Yeah, I think so. you did rather well on the quiz show. <laughs> But let's keep it going. We want to get to Thomas's background. Let's do it. What What is the earliest we know about his life? Yeah, so I, I remember like just, you know, you had pulled up some quotes and um, some lines from the different novels, thanks to your Kindle. And just from my recollections of, of him, but it's always mentioned that he started out in the Wild Bill Donovan days. I, I love how... Uh, Vince always like tacks that line in. And I think Brad Thor also like always always does that when he talks about like the the precursor to the CIA. And you know, he was in the war and his first job was to be what I think in what would become ultimately become the OSS, right? Mm-hmm. Where he would was tasked to go behind enemy lines, find allies and I guess sort of, you know, bring them to his side and just be chaos, pure chaos behind enemy lines, like cut supply lines, take out infrastructure, you know, train, train lines, power, whatever. Like that was his job was just to, you know, sort of be this disruption behind, behind the lines. They're like, what, what the hell's going on? You know, type thing. Yeah. They, they were called the Jedberg teams, which led me to look into it. They were a real group of, soldiers who who parachuted behind the lines and we even get this little detail that he was part of the team on d-day that before the invasion he had parachuted in and he destroyed a railway line a main communication station he actually cut the lines and was doing that to prep for d-day so thomas stansfield basically was the reason the, the invasion of d-day could work is that he he you know disrupted the system behind the scenes even before we had boots on the ground which is just pretty cool that's really cool i'm in my mind i would just love a description of that you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be stansfield but just like a book about like this there has to be a book on the jet these jedberg um right people I, i would love to read something like that yeah and i don't know if it was also called the jedberg teams but before parachuting into france he did the same in Norway, hence the Norwegian, Norwegian, which makes sense later on when we find out he also speaks that. Uh, and that was a, as young as his early 20s. And Vince even mentions this this fact that Eisenhower would go on to say the invasion of D-Day would not have been possible without these Jedberg teams. They would organize the resistance. So he was not only disrupting, he was also showing his leadership capacities in his early 20s bringing together these various bands of French, you know, resistance fighters and basically corralled them and marshaled the troops. So it's just pretty like that's that's major stuff. Right. I I guess I misspoke earlier saying the Iron Curtain, but he does eventually do that where 
right. he'll go once after World War II and we get into, you know, this whole, the Cold War with Russia, he does, that's his like next step, I guess. I, I sort of combine those two things together. But this is just essentially what the CIA does right now, right? They they have to find assets, flip them, bring them to our side, and exploit the knowledge. And this is just perfectly... You could see why he would go on to be so successful with the clandestine operations because, you know, he started out doing this very stuff. That and their other role we saw with, like, the Northern Alliance. We needed to bring together various bands of militias, if you will, unite them and give them a common purpose to fend off an enemy. And, you know, we did that, right, in the Middle East. Well, we've been doing that for 30 years in the Middle East, so right. um, similar to what Thomas was doing back in the 40s. Yeah, you're right about the Iron Curtain, and I was trying to look for what's the earliest posting or, or place that he was, and there was a quote in American Assassin, so this is Vince later on fleshing out more about Hurley and Stansfield's time together. And we learn they were in Budapest in the summer of 56. So, you know, right when Cold War is heating up, the whole uh, space race, the militarization, proliferation of nuclear weapons and, you know, ICBMs. And he was in his 30s now where he met Hurley, who was in his early 20s still. So Hurley definitely younger than Thomas. And so we get this banter back and forth between Hurley and Stansfield. I, I would, And this is where Stansfield says, I would go into a city. I would try to work asset to do our traditional thing. But I needed Hurley because he was my guy who would get to town and get to know the prostitutes and the barkeeps and the black marketers. Right. And Hurley would feed him that information while Stansfield is doing more of the highbrow stuff, you know, playing different roles. I would right. love a novella on that. Budapest in 56. That, that reminds me of like, uh, well, I guess it finally got fleshed out in Black Widow, but that was like a common thing in the Marvel things was Black Widow and Hawkeye. They would always reference Budapest. And every time like they did that, I would think back to that line in American Assassin because we were reading it and I was watching these things about back in Budapest. You know, it's it's funny how like these different stories always talk about it. Right, yeah, it becomes kind of a, a common trope. But I, I love seeing it played out with these two characters here. I just want more of that. You know, we've said many times on the pod we want more of this time period. And there's so many nuggets. So, so you had Budapest and then there's a couple other times they're mentioned together. There's this one. And it doesn't mention where or when. But this was in, again, American Assassin. It's kind of when Hurley is bickering with Kennedy and Stansfield is kind of sick of them going back and forth. He kind of wants to play the enforcer. And Stansfield gives Hurley an icy stare. And Hurley is taken aback and says, oh shit, he's only given me that stare once before. And the quote is, nearly three decades ago, Hurley still remembered that his stupidity had almost cost him his life. And if it hadn't been for Stansfield's magnanimous attitude, he would have died that day. Shit. So Stansfield saved Hurley's life and he gives him this like death stare, which gets him to say, calm down, grow up, mature, don't go on, you know, off the deep end. And I, I want to know what happened. How did Stansfield save Hurley's life back in these days behind the Iron Curtain? 
Yeah, I, I want to touch on their relationship, I guess, in, in a little bit. But uh, so after this, he eventually becomes the station chief in Moscow, right? Yep. So I'm guessing, ab- obviously, after the Iron Curtain falls, when we have an actual, um, some diplomacy or diplomatic wing there. Officially, yeah. Uh, officially. And then from there, he rises the ranks of the CIA to become the deputy director in charge of clandestine operations, which mm-hmm. is where we see him when we first meet him in Term Limits, Yep, where we see him in American Assassin and in Kill Shot. And then when we see him, when, when we first, I guess when we second saw him, he now is the director of the CIA in Transfer of Power, right? Yeah. But we get... In term limits, while he's deputy director of clandestine operations, he does something super important in that he brings in Scott Coleman. He does. Because Scott Coleman was a blonde-haired assassin, and Stansfield is smart enough to say, this guy's actually a patriot. He actually wants the country on the right track. If I forgive him what he's done, or at least I give him a pathway forward— Instead of him just becoming even more of a crazy assassin and loose cannon who ends up, you know, getting shot, killing himself, uh, becoming so crazed, Stansfield wants to bring him into the fold. And, like, everything Coleman builds, his relationship with Rap, his company, he's still to this day in total power getting and lethal agent getting big contracts with the SEAL demolition company. He's, like, the number one worldwide contractor in the, the security field and, and everything. That only happened because Stansfield recruited him on this beach in Term Limits. Right. And we get that scene in Term Limits where it's Stansfield and it's Scott and it's um, Higgins, right? Or it's it's one of the him or... Um, it might be, is it not um, Stu Garrett, O'Rourke but, uh, or McMahon? Might be McMahon. No, 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 no. I'm, the scene where like Stansfield like approves Scott of killing... I think it's with uh, Art uh, Arthur Higgins. Arthur Higgins, yes, yes they're yes, like yes. out on this island or, or somewhere on the water. Yes, and I just remember that scene, and and he just, you know, it's very early on that we see that Stansfield has no, doesn't take any any second thoughts in terms of allowing Scott to do this. Yeah, you know, that's when we also learn that exact mission about Stansfield's files. Yes, I was going to bring that up. You're right. Arthur Higgins unofficially worked for the CIA. For 40 years, it says he had done the agency's dirty work. And when Stansfield took over, over as deputy director, one of his first things was to order Arthur to cease all of his kind of black ops and things that he was doing off the record. Because Stansfield didn't want that under his leadership, you know, because right. he thought Arthur was too powerful and basically operating in the shadows in ways that could have been dangerous, like almost paramilitary unto himself. And that's going to start this beef with Arthur Higgins. And Stansfield kind of pushes him out, kind of forces him to resign by uh, and he has an insurance policy, all these files he has about him and what he's done in his back pocket in case Arthur doesn't go quietly. And it's those same files that he passes on to Irene, which mm-hmm. essentially sets her up to become the next director. You know, right. the fact that not only is she was she groomed, you know, from the very beginning, essentially to be his successor, but 
you know, he's passed on this, this vault of information that, you know, I think it's Stevens at the time, right? President Stevens, he, yes. he essentially can't, he can't not choose her because he knows too much. She knows too she much. She knows too her. much. She knows too much. And therefore Thomas knew, knew too much about him and, and everything. So, you know, most people hear the phrase skeletons in the closet and that causes you to like backtrack and think about your own skeletons. Thomas used the skeletons in the closet as a policy to get ahead by saying, I'm right. going to find out and document all the skeletons in the closet for everyone else around me and above me going up to the commander in chief. That way, basically nobody can backstab me, you know? Well, it, he probably had files on people that don't even know who he, he was at the time. Right. Right. He's scoping out and finding these people like, Oh, this guy's an up and comer. I need to have dirt on every single person that I might may potentially have a run in with. Let's just see what's going on. You know, and right, at, at right. the same time, I mean, he's in charge of protecting our country. So, you need to right. know. I mean, I guess technically they're not supposed to spy on Americans, but it paid off. And it, as long as it's somebody like Stansfield with the right morals, right? Sure, the, you have the, to the, be right the right virtues. Person, yeah, it won't fall into bad because you hands. can easily take those files and be right. a complete opposite person and do some damage with those things. Which is what he was nervous Arthur Higgins was doing and becoming too powerful. Yeah, so in the hands of someone like a Stansfield, we the reader can, you know, rest assured. And then knowing that he's training and grooming Irene to take over, that's fantastic. But one little small thing while we're on it in term limits, that's how they get to the takedown on Arthur Higgins' house because he pulls up the file of that guy Augie Remember, like you're saying, right. they fly out with Augie. And Augie says, Stansfield decades ago had me starting all this work for him. So Stansfield had like this random guy collecting intel for him in the agency on other agency directors. He he has a network that he built up. Yeah, and we even get to see it a, a couple times where we meet, like in the last, in Killshot, right? I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but... He's the one who he tasked to spy on uh, Paul. Paul Cook. Yeah, he, well, but he has him spy on on Cook. And he also is the same guy who he has uh, do the polygraph on Victor, right? Yes, the and, polygraph guy. And so, and, and Vince brings it up that the fact that this guy, you know, trusts Stansfield. He's done, you know, he knows that Stansfield knows that this guy does really good work. And we get these little nuggets of just descriptions about the people who he brings in his, into his inner circle to do this. And, you know, he, like he trusts Rob Ridley, um, who right. we met in American Assassin and in Term Limits, who presumably Stansfield is the one who fast-tracked him to, be, you know, be the big we we, we then just saw in uh, the, pre, you know, the books before, what is Pursuit of Honor and Extreme Measures, right? Right. So... You know, we we know the people that he brings into his inner circle. He seems to have a great judge of character. Bring essentially starting the second most important. I'm um, not the second, but like the. I don't know, what's what's Scott's order in importance in in this story? Would you say him third? I'd say Mitch yeah. is obviously Mitch is number one. I think Mitch Irene and Irene is number. I'm Irene is like a close second. I'd say third I'd have then. to go Scott because he's in more books than Hurley. Yeah. I'd say he's the third most influential character, for sure. You, Besides you know, all the villains, all the villains have like a different like thing, but sure, right, right. You know, you mentioned 
Stansfield's inner circle, like the polygraph guy we meet who says, you know, he's been doing work for Stansfield for forever. I went back to something in Killshot that I kind of wish I appreciated more in the moment. Because when I reread this scene, it was brilliant. It was delightful. In, in the story, I thought it was just like a side story that I was unhappy with. But it was so enjoyable when he meets up and calls in his contact from the UK, Roly Smith. And I was like, who is this guy? Why is he meeting with him? But as I reread the scene, so it's one of Stansfield's old buddies, Roly Smith, who's in MI6. So he's British intelligence. And they also bring in the priest from France, right. De Fleury. Right. And the three of them are going back and forth. And it was a riot. And they were doing it all in front of Irene. And Irene was still green at the time. So she was like, I never saw Stansfield like acting like a little kid. And they were all basically joking. And then one of them goes, I think it was the priest. They're joking around like old friends. And the priest goes, ah, you should have seen these two at the end of World War II. Remember that one time I had to save you from the whorehouse when the... And then Stansfield cuts him off and goes, hey, hey, don't start telling lies. (laughs) Or I'll be forced to hand my secret files on you over to the Vatican. (laughs) Right, exactly. Exactly. I love that side of him. When I was reading that, but it was just such a delightful chapter in Killshot when I went back to it to see Stansfield with old buddies joking around. Well, and speaking of old buddies, uh, we met one of his greatest old buddies in... in, uh, Greta's grandfather. Yes, Harold Meyer. Exactly. Harold Meyer. Yes. I mean, and I love that. We, we don't ever see American the two of them season. together, but um, he mentions, obviously, when he when he meets Rap, that he's known Thomas for a very long time. He set Thomas and, and Stan both up with the similar package that he set Rap up with. And then it's mentioned again in, in Killshot, where, you know, obviously he knows who Greta is. That's how Mitch sort of proves his innocence and he knows like oh i have to tell i have to tell her father her grandfather what's going on you know and type things but you could tell like again he has such a great judge of character and the people that he has in his inner circle are very trustworthy and he then i think this is really important because he sees the promise in mitch right i guess we can just talk about it now how Without Thomas, we don't get the Orion team, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it started by him and Stan and, and Irene a little bit, and then all the senators who sort of give it the green light, one of them being a villain in the later novels, Hank Clark, right? Who he also has files on. Who he has files on, yes. Even the senators who were in on the Orion team with him, he still makes sure to have documentation he, he needed them to sanction it because they right. he needed to have some sort of political cover some sort of um, cover because he, yeah. he he knew he couldn't just do this himself because if he ever did it just himself then it would come back in his files they say he had enough written signed testimonies from i guess the gang of eight or some other high level people in, in congress to say like nope this was not stansfield working alone we were in on it we all authorized it this was official business right. of the u.s government but that's not going to yeah. see the light of day unless shit hits the fan um, unless something really bad goes on yeah i don't think it ever comes out right no like, it, 
Does Stansfield ever well, have to defend the Orion team in public? Or Kennedy? I guess the they Black do, Ops right? Assassination when, when, program? When Mitch's, when Mitch's um, cover gets blown. True. And by, by Rudin, Congressman Rudin. Yeah, when he, then he has to... And I guess Hank Clark sets that up, right? Because he, mm-hmm. he sort of says that... I think, though, at one... Gives that up. Point, I think at one time, though, it's like an insurance policy. Like, I, I know Rap's cover gets blown, and they have to kind of say, yeah, he's one of our operatives. But I don't think it ever is, like, so much that Stansfield has to pull out the papers and say, like, look, this was an approved operation by the U.S. Congress. Does it ever go that far? I no, it doesn't. I don't think that far. Which, which it, it probably would. Like, if we're talking about real life, if that ever, like, got out, you know, right. some sort of subpoena watergate scandal like that you know yeah happened you know so but yeah i what i was going with was this the scene in american assassin where you know he obviously green lights bringing in rap but he needs to go down and actually see for himself what's going on and that's you mentioned the scene where he's talking to hurley and he gives him that look right but he wants to come down and he wants to see, you know, he wants Lewis's opinion. He wants to actually see what's going on with the training and everything. And and then we get that scene where Mitch finally meets him and Mitch right. has no idea who the hell this guy is. He wants to get to know him, wants to make sure his mind, I think they, they mentioned that he wants to make sure that his mind is sound. Mm-hmm. He sees something in Mitch. Um, maybe he sees a little bit of himself in Mitch. I don't think he was ever that deadly as, as Mitch is, but... You know, he can see that Mitch can can do this and can be a valid asset. So, yeah, I think he says that he's like the deadliest person he's ever seen. Yeah. And that's where they kind of connect on another level of Stansfield wanting to ensure Mitch after his first kill, right? Sharif on the bench, how he's feeling. And when Rap gives him some sort of quip about you'll never know, you're just a suit. He goes, oh, don't don't think it's that easy being in my position. You might be the executioner, but I'm the judge and the jury. The blood's right. on my hands, too. And he's trying to assure Rap, I have your back wholeheartedly because I am also the reason they're all dead. You pulled the trigger, but don't feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's that's interesting you brought that up because that's mirrored with a, a scene later on with Irene in Rap. Yep, Irene tells Rap and that. And it's right after Irene's first like real kill. You know, yes. where she like puts puts the poison in and Rap wants to sort of go check on her and make sure she's okay. And she says sort of the same thing. Like, this is not my first, it might be my first like actual kill, kill. Yeah. but it's not my first kill. Right. I've, how many, how many papers have I signed, you know, allowing you to go out there and do that? The, the right. blood's on my hand as well. So that's, that's a cool parody between the two of them. Yep. We get both, both Stansfield and, and Irene with Mitch. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, since you mentioned American Assassin, I think we have to explore how did Hurley get in a position to be given so much leverage by Stansfield? Because Doc Lewis, at some points, wonders if Stansfield had a soft spot for Hurley, and that's why Mm. he had so much power. Was that a mistake? And I'm going to say... I think one of Stansfield's, and I think he would say, one of his biggest professional mistakes 
was giving Hurley such a long leash to pick recruits. Because look how long that delayed finding someone like Rap, how long it delayed an Irene coming into her own and, and playing a role. And it does come back to their relationship, though, right? <laughs> because let's look at Beirut again. Why does he trust Hurley so much? Because they were doing all these missions together. And there's this crazy story back in Beirut of where Hurley was when the bomb went off at the embassy. But Hurley was out with the prostitute, and that's why Hurley was safe from the bomb. And then Hurley goes off and starts killing random terrorists throughout the city. And Stansfield knows it's Hurley. Just guys getting picked off left and right and disappearing throughout the city and these bloodbaths. And Stansfield notices Hurley can't go down that path. And he actually threatens him and recalls him back from the field and says, I'm going to send you to Peshawar to equip the Mujahideen uh, in part of the Afghan-Pakistan border conflict. And so Stansfield was threatening to sideline Hurley as early as Beirut. But then even by the time of American Assassin, he couldn't sideline Hurley. Hurley still had such a long leash and Stansfield has a soft spot and wouldn't rein him in. Yeah, I think n not even you, you just you, you you nailed it. Not even does he have a soft spot for allowing him to pick recruits, but just a soft spot for him in general. Right. And I guess I could, we can dive into what the relationship was like between him and Hurley. Like, what would you describe that? For me, what I thought was much so this little brother, big brother, mm -hmm. because they're they're not so far in age to be like father and son. Right. It's way more, you know, when you have a little brother. Oh, you have a little brother, right? Or Older you brother. Are I'm the little you're brother. The little, you're yeah. the little brother. So when you have... I have a little sister, and I guess it's similar, but like you just... You see them differently, and you... Mm -hmm. you, you If you see them failing, you don't, you're not the first person to say something. You sort of let it slide, um, and, you know, you, you, you only see the good sometimes with, with things. And, yeah, so he just saw the, this, little, this little bro who had a lot of talent, someone he needed, and let him do things that he probably shouldn't have let him done. Yeah. And like there's times where like they're, they're having arguments in front of him with Irene and he's just like, you know, I am your boss. I am the deputy director of the CIA. And then eventually he is the director of the CIA. Like what I say goes, you know, yeah. this is not, this is not a democracy here. <laughs> this is a dictatorship. Yeah. I think the big brother, small uh, little brother is spot on. And that's why, he's only given that icy stare twice because you're much more likely to give that to somebody and try to like pull rank on them unless you have a familial bond. I, right. I feel like he, he would have been harsher on Hurley as a professional boss, you know, uh, if he didn't have such a close relationship with him, he, he almost felt like family. So I, I think that's, that's spot on. And, and then he's also not, He's not as jovial as I was describing with this MI6 guy, Roly Smith, and this priest who are just buddies, you know, like your college buddies. So Stansfield and Hurley don't have that relationship, that kind of no, romance kind of thing. It, it's much more familial. They're not going out to the bar together to get like they might have a drink at the end of the night together, a discussion, but they're not going out and, you right. know. Ripping, ripping beers next to each other at the bar. And based on that conversation and kill shot, Thomas Rolly Smith 
and the priest of Flurry, I could see them getting hammered together. This this conversation oh, at yeah, Killshot sure. was just so damn funny. I could absolutely see them getting trashed together, where I can't see that with Hurley. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I could see, like, Stansfield having to go in and save Hurley's drunk ass. like, w- like Which he did, brother. apparently. Which he did. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> I'd love to see that scene. But here's a good line, just when Stansfield is, is broing out with these guys, and a line that would also apply to the first time we learn about Stansfield and Hurley. Listen to this. They remained closest friends and confidants, but they were stoically and unapologetically from a generation in which men did not hug men. I, I remember reading that. <laughs> that so describes Stansfield and all his buddies, you know, whether it's like your little brother, whether it's like your drinking buddies, like that line just captures these guys are from a different generation. They are not going to be Scott and Mitch's, you know, and Joe Maslick's generation. Like these are old time operators. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Because I had a grandfather who like didn't really like hugs. And right. he's, he's probably like, he was a little bit younger than Stansfield, but yeah, just like different generations. But then you look at Chris Ann on the other side, <laughs> our buddy he, who's in the army and he's just an absolute monster. You know, I weigh Big 275 Big and you can hugger. crush me. Big hugger. He'll, hu- he'll hug you every time you see him, even if you just saw him two days ago. So you got to You got to give the hug. Got to give the hug. <laughs> you too. You're a little feely touchy over there. Uh, yeah, I like I like a good hug. Like Your hands hug. on. Your hands on. The back slaps, the shoulder rubs, the two-handed handshakes. I don't, I don't know if I like how you're describing me. <laughs> <laughs> Those Gonzaga boys. <laughs> yeah, probably. So. There's a lot of butt slapping. Yeah, that's true. That you do. That you do. It's good for the golf course. Gets you, you know, yes. gets you in the zone. Gets you hit those pars. Well, if you we're talking about relationships, so let's just go into his relationship with Irene. How would you describe that? Obviously, mentor, mentee. He's friends with her father, it, uncle. And it seems like her. You de- yeah, I was gonna go over it, that. It's it's that uncle though, who's not just, you know, your parents' brother. No, it's uncle of like, you're not related, but they are so close. They might as well be your immediate family. You know, like everyone has those family friends that you call your cousins, even though you're not related to them. And I, I just think Stansfield is almost like a godfather, uncle to Irene. And especially after she lost her father. Right, um, exactly. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say stepfather. I don't think I don't think Thomas wanted to be there for Irene to replace her father, like as a stepfather. But to really honor Irene's father as his best friend by raising Irene, by mentoring her professionally, by not just giving her guidance to succeed at work, but giving her guidance to become, you know, the strong woman she is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like he wants his daughters to be. Like he's going to treat her like one of his daughters, but knowing full well he's not trying to replace her father. Exactly. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. We already and, discussed how much she learned from him just about the job. Like there's she's the smartest character in the Mitch Rap universe by far, I would say. And the only reason she's gotten there, I think, is because she had Thomas in her life. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say that uh, there, she's not the director of the CIA if, she, if she's not his protege. 
Right. And I guess, well, finally, let's just go go right to it. What would you say his relationship to rap is? I, well, I think it evolves. And this is a scene I wanted to bring up, and it leads in perfectly when they're at Stansfield's house after Rap sneaks up on him. And then when Stansfield is is dying and what he says to Rap, and I think there's a scene in the Situation Room. So I would say in the beginning, he was this um, wise man, almost this sage, but in the shadows. You know, because American assassin, kill shot. He took orders from Hurley. He took orders from Irene. He never directly or, or didn't so often directly interact with Thomas, but he knew Thomas because he met him like we were just discussing, but he didn't really deal with him. So I don't think they had a, a super strong relationship that was able to flourish early in his career, but boy, I love the story arc when we get to the third option with Sansfield passing on. And, and singing Rap's praises about how much he meant to the country and how much he meant to him personally. And I think at one point, Stansfield even tells the president that in the Oval Office. Right. I'm trying oh, to definitely. see. I want to see if I have that quote from, I guess it would be the third option. Yep. In the Oval Office, in front of the president, Stansfield says, quote, Mitchell... I'd like to start by saying that I've been in the business for more than 50 years, and I don't know if I've seen anyone as talented and courageous as yourself. Rapp looked at Stansfield and replied with a silent nod. The words from the dying legend were worth more than any medal his government could ever give him. That was uh, powerful. That says a lot. It says a lot. Yeah, their relationship is very interesting to me. Because in the beginning, it's, you know, the the first interaction where Mitch, we get like the inner dialogue and Mitch is like, who is this guy? And he's obviously someone important. And, but the whole time, Stansfield sort of has his back. And, but there's multiple times where Mitch has to prove to Stansfield that he's not the one that did it, you know, like obviously in Killshot. And then also in the third option, he like sneaks up on him in his house, like, I guess both those are instances where Rap almost dies, and so he immediately thinks that the CIA put out a burn notice on him. Right. Uh, so the first person to suspect is the guy in charge. Right. But both times he never he he sort of wavers on thinking that Irene wasn't you know the person who did it you know who, but yeah, he never yeah. he never double sort of double thinks whether or not Stansfield is the one who did it. So it's not like it's not like it's his father. It's not also not not an uncle. It's like it's just a teacher. I would I would go with, with you know right a teacher and a really good boss. I wanted to ask you. I like how he calls him Mitchell. He always calls him Mitchell. Yes. Uh, doesn't call him Mitch. Maybe once, but he he definitely is the one who calls him Mitchell a lot. Irina ends up calling him Mitchell a lot later on. Too. Irene does it when she's angry, though. Yes, Stansfield does she's it angry. as a term of, like, of endearment and respect. Yeah. The choice of not having rap at his fu- at his funeral. What what did you think about that? Like why only Irene goes to his funeral? I'm not sure I picked up on that. Was it rap's choice not to go? Yeah, I guess I just read it as 
I don't think Rap is a funeral kind of guy, like the kind of right. guy that like goes to funerals. He's I don't not, even think he went we, to Anna, he didn't even go to Anna's funeral. Right. right. We see that with Anna that he was very reserved and turned within and didn't want to go through the hoopla that you know the family had to go through. Mm-hmm. And that was his wife. So I think also though that was uh, that decision could be out of respect for Thomas because he deserved to be buried at Arlington. He deserved massive media coverage and he just wanted to go back to South Dakota and it was not a a grand funeral but just a private one you know he wanted back where he was born so I think that's just something rap would have known about him and right you know you can honor his legacy honor his legacy by doing your duty to the country not by showing up to go through the motions you know right exactly yeah but I love this one wrapping up how what Stansfield has meant to Kennedy. So I'll probably put this earlier. Kennedy could think of no one she admired more than Thomas Stansfield. The man had given close to 60 years of his life to the agency, his belief in democracy and his country. And she had given him her word. She would return to Washington. That came after this really brief line of Kennedy not sure at the end of the funeral if she was going to go back and take the job or try to move up the ranks. And so this funeral scene was so powerful because it kept, it kept Kennedy in the game. She wanted to honor his legacy the same way. I just said, rap, how do you honor this man? You show up, you do your, your job, you, you do your duty. And that also rubbed off on Irene. She went back and obviously rose through the ranks to become director and fill his shoes best she could. Or yeah. here's, that makes me think of a question. Does Irene supersede Thomas as a director? Do you think she grows into the role so much that she fills his shoes and more? Or does she remain, even to this point in the in the story, in the shadow of this giant? Or has she cemented her legacy as a giant herself? I think they're equals. I I think they're equals, especially right by now. Like they're equals. I think she proved it. She proved it. She proved it when she killed that um, Senator Ross, right? You know, she's not afraid to get dirty. She she got taken. Right. Um, I think I think they're equals. It's kind of like. That old saying of when the student can defeat the master, I I feel like Vince didn't get or doesn't need to get into that logic of one has to be greater than the other. She almost by just being a co-equal and being as great is enough. You know, it doesn't have to be this old trope or this narrative, this myth of you have to defeat, you know you have to do better than your father or your mentor or your teacher. And then you're only truly yourself. I feel like Irene was herself the whole time. She didn't need to supersede anybody to prove her worth. So yeah, I like that. I would say equals as what they've given to the directorship. I also like how we've gotten to see the growth, his growth Mm -hmm. we got. And then by placing him, in the the very first novel as, or I guess in term limits, he's not yet the director. He's not the director yet. Right. 
Um, no, I think he's still deputy director. Deputy director. And then, or maybe even in, another role, maybe even a lesser one. And then, well, no, because he's the deputy director in in Killshot, so okay, I'm assuming okay. it's the same same position. Got you. True. Yep. Anyways, but by Vince putting him there, and then showing the transition to Irene, we get to see her growth more. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a nice literary technique it's, instead of because like, you could have started this novel with just with uh transfer of power with Irene being the director, you know, mm-hmm. having her being this underling, you know, because she's not even, she's just in charge of, she's not even a deputy director. She's just in charge of counterterrorism, right? So by seeing her rise and having this, you know, mentor-mentee relationship fleshed out in the pages, I think it makes for a better story. Yeah. So uh, I was glad that we got Stan Scott as a character. Absolutely. I was thinking to to wrap this up, what if we share some of our favorite Thomas Stansfield moments? Could be a scene, could be a quote, maybe some that we haven't mentioned. And since you just brought up transfer of power, I've got to bring up a scene that blew me away when I first read it, which is Stansfield's logic talking to Aziz. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Aziz had just taken the White House. He's all smug in the Situation Room. And all these hostage negotiators and the Attorney General Tutwiler are basically all just getting smacked down by Aziz. Like, we have no other option but to cave to his demands. He's got the hostages. We're basically, we're playing the game he wants us to play. We're being manipulated. And Aziz goes on TV to try to play this sympathetic, I just want America to free the Middle East, stop being our oppressor, you know, stop fighting wars to conquer and take our oil and and slaughter our people. And Aziz is trying to play victim. Well, Stansfield answers a phone call from him. And when Aziz is giving him the, I'll kill hostages, I want you to turn over Farah Harut, which is the guy rap captured in the opening scene right. of transfer of power in Bandar Abbas, it, you know, Aziz's terrorist buddy. Well, Stansfield isn't going to play the same old game. And he humors Aziz and says, you know, you and I have a lot in common. I commend your speech this morning. It played well with the politicians. I tried to tell him you weren't serious, that you were just performing. You did a pretty good job convincing people in my government that you've turned over a new leaf and you'll keep your word but I know it's a sham. If you kill another hostage, I'll take this tape, leak it to the media so everyone can see, you know, the true nasty that you are and you're not the vi- the victim you tried to portray yourself in the media this morning. And he says, you know what? If you start killing hostages, guess what? We'll just retake the building. That means you will die. We'll just bomb the hell out of it. I don't care about the White House. He even says at one point, 50, 100 hostages dead? I don't care. The president's in a safe bunker. We could bomb the thing and the president will still be alive. We'll kill your ass. We'll we'll knock down the White House. We'll get our president back. We'll rebuild it in six months. Guess what? No big deal. And Aziz is like, but you'll kill hostages. <laughs> and Stansfield goes, I don't care about some measly hostages. I'll get my president back. I'll get everything I want and I'll get you dead. So he's like, I don't care about this hostage negotiation. I'm going to order a strike. I'm just going to blow you up and get my president back. And that's when Aziz is like, oh, shit. Like, this is not what I was expecting an American to say. 
that gets Aziz to to slip up. And and actually, it's Kennedy who gets the read on Aziz when Aziz says things are not always as they appear, and he gets angry and hangs up. Kennedy's like, I think he's talking about us saving the president. Like Stansfield was really smart, but he was so confident he's going to save the president. And Irene got a hint in his voice of Aziz saying, uh, don't be so sure that you're going to get the president alive. Right. Because and he had doing the safe that, He's able to take them. Yeah, exactly. And then Kennedy not, finds like, out. Forcing him to, to divulge information. Yeah. Right. And, and Kennedy on that read is able to go after her hunch that he took this Kuwaiti guy who was operating under Saddam Hussein, breaking vaults, cracking into safes. And now Kennedy's like, oh, shit. Does Aziz have that guy in the White House to crack the bunker and get the president out? All because Stansfield made him play his cards. Exactly. Exactly. Well, one of my... I have a couple here. Um, humor me. But so two of the things I really liked or my favorite moments were this one quote from Term Limits where... I forget who says it, but it's... Stansfield was an icon. A real-life spook. He had earned his spurs running around behind the Iron Curtain, risking his life. I don't know, like, I just think of, he is the spy master. Mm-hmm. He reminds me very much of, in, like, the Brad Thor no- novels, um, I haven't read those in a while, but, you know, the guy who takes over Scott Harvath, like, who mentors him, and, like, this, this, just this spy master, like, the ultimate spy master. And then there's this other quote where, who says it? I think the Russian says it in American Assassin. And he says, don't let his grandfatherly image uh, deceive you. This man is a street fighter with a big set of Russian balls. I thought that was awesome. And then the other guy was, like, thinking in his mind, why does he have to have Russian balls? (laughs) And then Ivanov is like, he's got Russian balls because he's more Russian than he is American. He thinks like us. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then just this, like, there's these little, like, things with him. He's, you know, ultimate spy master, right? Going back to term limits, this this scene that you wrote down, it, it just dawned on me. But you think he's constantly listening to this conversation, you know, fully attentive. But actually, he's oh, pretending yeah. like pretending like he's reading the brief. Yes. But instead, he's looking at everybody in the room, and then he pinpoints that Stu something's Garrett. going on with Stu Garrett and Nance, and this is what like triggers him. Like he's wa- when you don't think he's watching you, he's actually watching you. Oh, I he, love that you know? scene. All right, there's so many good scenes, but like he, awesome man, seems to you know, really shapes three of the characters that are really important in this whole entire series in Mitch, Stan, and Irene. Yeah. We wouldn't even have the series without Stan, without Stansfield, right? We wouldn't have the Orion right. team without him. So, you know, great character. Yeah. So I got to wrap up with my favorite line, which which relates to his ability to read people. And do it in this very covert way. Totally forgot that's how we peg Stu Garrett. Is that he pretends to be reading the brief, but his eyes are scanning. And he sees Stu Garrett kind of flinch. Look at Nance. And Nance be like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. I forgot about that. And no one else picked up on it in the room. 
But that makes me think of my favorite quote about Stansfield. And when we were podcasting in Transfer of Power, I believe I said this might be one of Vince Flynn's best written sections. And I think I stand by that. So I love this. Trying to gauge Stansfield was like trying to read the expression on the Sphinx. The longer you observed, the more you thought you saw. But in reality, you saw nothing. In the case of the Sphinx, it was because there was nothing. But in the case of Thomas Stansfield, there was a lot. Says it all. There is a whole lot behind Thomas Stansfield. And I enjoyed exploring it with you, Chris. Yeah, this is fun. I like this. Let's do some more character analysis. And we might have a good one to do very soon as The Last Man is coming up as our August book of the month, which means Survivor right after that. Yeah, and I think uh, Hurley's time in, in our life is, is coming to an end soon, so might have to be doing one, one of these on, on Stan Hurley. Yeah, you know, in just a couple of books here, we are losing and won't have two titans of the Mitrap series in Stansfield and Hurley. Yeah, let's make the next one about Hurley. What do you say? Sounds good to me. I thought about doing one with Anna, but uh, I didn't like her as a character, so we'll skip that one. I Yeah, I don't know if our audience really wants to hear that either. <laughs> I don't know if I want to write a limerick about that either. <laughs> I thought a good one would be uh, to do one on Louis Gould because Louis, we get him yeah. we get him in like a couple books. Yeah, Louis Gould's going to make an appearance again. That's true. That's true. Um. We got to do our villains episode too. I was going to say, would that work as a villains episode? We have to do. We have to do top top five villains. Yeah, or like we got to do a villain draft. Wait, what if we finish Vince Flynn with Last Man, and that's one of our bonus episodes when we finish the book because we're done with Vince. So out of everything Vince wrote, we can do a villain recap. Oh, that's a good thing. We can we can do a whole superlatives with just Vince, like because then we're done with Vince novels. Yeah. Because I think Kyle's villains are in a different category, if you will. Like Vince created a bunch they of really memorable villains. Kyle kind of blurs the edges with villains a little bit. Who's the villain? You know, can you actually feel sympathetic for the villain? I feel like Kyle's doing something very different with villains than what Vince did. Right. No, very true. Very true. So. Cool. Cool. All right. Well. Next time we come to you, we will have an episode on something. Don't know what yet. Uh, I got to work on that, but uh, it'll be something good. So we'll see. Could be an author series, or we could, could try to rush ahead on part one of The Last Man. I'm not sure which we'll have ready. But you'll find out when you uh, get it in your feed. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and The Last Man will come sometime in August, even if it's not next week. Yes. Again, uh, we have to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., who I saw had a nice uh, fan interaction with uh, with the bus. With the bus. Social the medias. Bus. Yes. Uh, and I got to thank our special agents, George, Matt, Don, who also had an interaction with uh, the bus. Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark, who I think is a... Uh, I saw Mark's name there was on the... Um, as an ambassador, so... Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you to you guys. Mark just finished Enemy at the Gates, and 
is chomping at the bit to talk about it. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Please subscribe, rate, review. Find us at MitchRapPod.com and at Twitter, Instagram at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Thank you to Thomas Stansfield. The man, the myth, the legend. The legend. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.